0: Welcome to Portraits of Honor. We stand in the swiftly fading shadow of our World War II veterans and heroes who united for a single purpose, to honor life, liberty, and justice for all. They were soldiers and sailors, airmen and mechanics, nurses and pilots, radio operators, ordinary people who did extraordinary things. Our mission is to preserve their stories to bring their experiences to life for a new generation. This is our tribute, our act of honor. Through their words, we explore the essence of honor and remember the sacrifices that were made. For just the cost of a cup of coffee each month, you can help us preserve their stories. Visit PortraitsofHonor.com to learn more. Join us as we journey back in time, as we listen, learn, and remember. This is Portraits of Honor. Let the stories of these heroes begin. In this gripping episode, we hear from Claude Hillenbrand, a dedicated flight engineer and gunner on B-17 Flying Fortresses. His compelling tale of resilience takes us through 35 perilous missions, including D-Day, Navigating the war-torn skies of World War II Europe and the Pacific in iconic B-17s like Vinny Vidi Vicky and Smoky Liz, from field rations to oxygen masks, Hillenbrand's detailed account offers a vivid glimpse into the life of an Army Air Corps serviceman. This interview was recorded on September 1, 2020, in Spring Hill, Tennessee.
1: Your full name again, Claude Richard Hillenbrand. And your date of birth? November the 6th, 1923. And you grew up where?
2: Evansville, Indiana through high school and uh, went left the army and didn't go back.
1: Where'd you go to high school?
2: Central High in Evansville, Indiana.
1: Okay, so right after high school or once you turned 18 you you uh, joined up? I, I was yeah, I just was
2: 18 when I enlisted in the Air Force. I went up to enlist in the Navy, and I wanted to get in the CBs to learn to operate all this equipment. Oh, yeah. Uh, this Navy recruiter said, no, I'll just sign you up and they'll put you where you are. I said, no, I want CB. He said, I can't sign you up just that you have to go in the Navy. I said, just forget it. I walked down the hallway. There was an officer sitting in there. I stepped the door, he said, can I help you? I said, oh, I'll join the Air Force, sign here. <laughs> so that's <laughs> how come here would be in the Air Force. Well,
1: oh, cool. that's cool. Where'd you go for, for training?
2: I went to Miami Beach for basic training. Lived in a petition hotel. We moved civilians out and we moved in. We left there and went to Lincoln, Nebraska for airplane mechanic school. We left there. They picked 42 of us, and we went to Seattle, Washington, Boeing Aircraft Factory for flight engineer training. And then from there we went to Kingman, Arizona, to gunnery school. And after that we were assigned combat crews and went. To we ended. We ended up in taking our phase training as a crew in Palo, Texas, and then we went overseas. We, we went over on the Queen Elizabeth and we was the they held it up one They were supposed both front sail that night they held it up to get we got there and got on they said we were in bulk that we were actually 20 feet below the water level <laughs> so that wasn't a very good idea but we made it we were 6 days going over we landed at glasgow went down to a base uh, there was a sign and we ended up then going to the well, it was the Eighth Air Force, Third Division, 45th Wing, 452nd Bomb Group, 730th Squad, and then from there we started flying combat. That was it, uh, out of grain uh, in, in in England. Were you with the same crew the whole time? Yes, sir. There was uh, ten of us signed to go over before we left, uh, before we went overseas and we were there and some of them finished flying early and tra- other transfers and that. But the uh, pilot and me and most of the others of the gunner, uh, gunners were all still on uh, the same crew. And of course when the pilot and me finished, uh, we were the only two for 35 mission. The other crew flew 20, uh, 30 to 32
1: missions in Mississippi. Yeah. That's great, you know, yeah. 35 missions, that's... Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got over, we was only supposed to fly at 25. That's what the Memphis Bell was the first crew to fly at 25, and kind they of come today. We flew, got there, and then, as we got closer to, D day, they moved it to 30. And then they come up and said, well, go 35. And then after that, then they reached, went right back to 30, I think to 30 then. The pilot and myself were the only two on our crew that flew 35. Where were you based in England? At, uh, they called it uh, Diff and Green Atterbury. It was on the train track at Atterbury. Uh, we were seventy-five miles north of London, eighteen miles south of Norwich.
1: Did you spend any time in London?
2: I went the first pass we had. I went down for one one time. I wasn't too impressed. We got to see Big Ben and the uh, uh, Westminster, all of that in London, but I never did go back. <laughs> Our navigator, he went every time he got down there and got me in the city. He was broke, wanted to know he wanted, He had a pass. He wanted to go to London. I let him have the money. He went down there. Next day, he was back at the base. I said, Max, I thought you went to London. He said, I did. But he said, one of them buzz bombs went off in the building next to me, and I caught the next train back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: blame him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were the... Uh, names or nicknames of your uh your bombers that you flew on? Well Vita Vita Vicky was the
2: first one that was I was stand for a uh, I I came I saw and conquered. Yeah. It got bombed during that shuttle raid to uh, Russia. What was the name of it? Vidi Vidi Vicky, I think what it was. Oh, okay. If you can understand Latin that's I uh, came yeah. I saw and then we flew a whole lot on different ones. The main one we flew quite. We flew on uh, borrowed time and time. And, but mostly at the last we were flying on one called Smokey Liz. And then, of course, we flew the mission of that Colonel's daughter, I, or not for some sure, Melissa or whatever. <laughs> and then, Colonel Odom, after the war ended, he lived down here at. Uh, out from Chattanooga for the Signal Mountain. Yeah. Of course, he's died since then, but he, he was down there. For I thought about going down to see him. And I know the day we belly landed that plane, I was sitting there, and he come over and said, "You flying this all this?" I said, "Yes." Sir. He said, well, "Well, who's the pilot?" Luke ain't graff there. He said he sure made a good and did not Cause all ten of us walked away without any injuries. So.
1: That was uh, this one here. Hold it up. And yes. So you had a belly landing. What yeah. was the circumstances around that? We coming in to land. Been to Munich. We had
2: number two engine knocked out already. We coming in to land, and we was almost ready to touch down. They give a red light and said, "Go around the runway block." When the pilot went to par, we lost another engine, or maybe two, and come in on the belly of it. And as we slid across there on the belly that uh, that we there, we, not of one of us got a, uh, the tail gunner went down skinny knee a little bit but outside there. And we uh, there, and uh, of course that's Max Schultz, our so navigator, pilot. And I believe that George Slogunoff a bombardier, and this Neil next to me is co Pilot. he's one that got transferred to a fighter after five thirty missions. Of course, me and different ones. It, it was, as like I said, it, it was something to fly on a, a plane with a picture of a baby on it. You might say, "I'm German." <laughs> to kill I
1: to it would dude. be. Most of them have scantily clad women on them. Yeah, the, the
2: eradicator was in our squadron. It showed a big old mule with a Hitler's head on it. No, a big rat with Hitler's head on it. They called it the eradicator. <laughs> and then there was some that was the crew taking off one time, going, getting ready to go over. Before they got to the channel they run another cru, plane run into them and they both went down and uh, they they called theirs then uh, Barring time the next plane they got that uh, was flight engineer and the radio man on them crew that crew which we'd been with all through train was killed then. At, uh, the radio the Radio man, when they found his body, he had never pulled a rip cord on his parachute. They'd think he probably hit his head or something. The flight engineer opened his parachute, and it circled and caught him between number two engine and the fuselage He killed
1: him. Hmm.
2: I said, that's something else. There. But most time, like I say, we the crews went down. We we were just an immediate crew there and that we we weren't there that long to really get to be real friendly with everybody.
1: Can you describe again a typical mission? Like what time of the morning would you get up and well, it get ready?
2: Ended, uh, if we're going in like to the Berlin, mm-hmm. they would come in probably at five or six call us. Mess was go to mess, and then an hour after mess hall, you went to brief them. Then take off was generally an hour, hour and a half after that. I'll say one uh, that the, we, as flight crews, eat good. They had field stoves, uh, which I thought before I went to the Army, I worked for a while at this place building these field stoves. They had them set up and rolled. And when you went through the line, you told the cook how many how many eggs you wanted and how you wanted them fixed. Of course, they cost and both you want bacon or sausage. And then they had great big drums of all kinds of juices in there. The flight crews uh, enlisted men and the officers eat out of the same kitchen. When you come out of the kitchen, our mess hall was here, then the next over was the officer. Whichever place needed what they were coming out with is where they went. And we eat the same as the officers. Uh, they filled it. Once, one morning, we wasn't on a flight, but they brought powdered eggs out. Oh you talk about flushing. <laughs> they didn't ever do that again after. after <laughs> we got, hard boy, we got the eggs fried as they was, in those stores, you know, cold <laughs> snorting. We had a little guy was a ground crew with our crew. He was there one day. we get... They couldn't, they wasn't allowed to eat. They eat in a separate mess hall, everything. I told him, I said, come on, go eat with us. He said, they won't let me out. I said, yeah, they will, come on. We go start to go to the chow line and Mr. sergeant said, hey, he's not a flight crew. I, yeah, he's on my crew, he's one of our crew. He, he said, well, all right, let him go. But, uh, but
1: it, it was strictly, we were strictly fed separate from the others. So after briefing, what did you get? You do. You got the
2: briefing, and when you left briefing, you went and got your flight gear on. That you went and got to, to the then uh, got the guns that you were going to have that day. Checked them and done everything and really went through it. Then carried them to the plane and mounted them. You wasn't supposed to put no live ammunition till you got in the air and there was nobody around. And then we would. Wait then and when time to line up, we would get to our positions and they would line up at the end of the runway like squadrons and that and they'd take off two minutes apart. And then after we got left in the air, you went two minutes and turned, made a turn then. Then you, once you got in your formation, went out and once you, by the time you was going across the channel, you was above 11,000 feet, we'd be on oxygen.
1: How long would a typical mission last? Uh, eight to 10 hours most of the time. Sometimes we'd
2: go up Berlin or up uh, Leipzig up past and that we'd be 11 or 12 hours. Uh, majority i say was around eight to 10 hours.
1: That's a long time to be yeah. up there in the cramped space. With and, all your gear on.
2: Uh, um, we, they would give us a little box and generally had some candy and stuff in it when we took off. That was to kind of snack on. Of course, a lot of times you'd open it up there'd be a note in there, say, my name is so-and-so, I live in London, come down, we'll have a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Flip, But we had, now the 15th Air Force, uh, or the one over in the South Pacific, they give them a can of Spam, and some bread. And one guy told me he eats eat so much Spam on his flying
1: cup down there that he couldn't even stand to see a can of it. <laughs> How often would you fly? Like every other day or? We? Did it vary?
2: We have flew every day for three or four days. And that hardly ever was over on the ground over four days unless we was flying again in that quarter. Uh,
1: we didn't go, you know. It was, it was something there. We talked before about uh, you know how cold it would get up in, at altitude, and um, well, it starts that again.
2: dropping pretty much after you got past ten thousand feet, and twenty to thirty thousand feet, it'd be low uh, forty below zero. You had to wear a, a silk glove on that if you had to take your big gloves off, you you, you couldn't touch no metal with your body, any part of your body or it would freeze to it.
1: And you had heated suits?
2: Yes, sir. They they come out with, when they first they had these wool suits. In fact, I had one, the, the collars come up way right around here and that. But then they come out with the electric suits. And you would plug the, put the, boots on and plug it into the bottom and then you the waist and that and then hook it and you plug everything up and then you had an extension guard you went into the outlet on the plane and you could turn that up or down whichever you need. Did.
1: did that work okay for you? Yes it worked good. You like it better? Yes, <laughs> oh yeah. And what else would you wear? Well we would have them electric
2: suits on, boots and gloves and that. We had a mask, uh, oxygen mask on, and then we had throat mics that would fit around our throat. We had helmets with the ear where the parts of the radio hooked in and that there and then you had a metal if you was in combat, you had a metal like a metal cap or a cat, but it had ears, that big ear
1: pads, and it fit over that so you could hear. You were, uh, you were finished up as a technical sergeant? Yes, sir. And um, what po- position did you uh, occupy on the bomber? I was flight engineer. My regular position was top
2: turf. I flew all over, of course. We had one guy, he was wild to fly up there, we would swap out, let him fly up there and I'd fly in the waist. I flew the waist one time or something. I flew in the tail once, I flew in the ball turret once. I flew about every position there was on the plane in one nation. on that. We had a crew and when we was in training in Texas, we, pilot me, we made it our point that we would try to, tell, to teach each other, other guys, what your part was, and to get them though. If one had to change place places, step into your position, he could. Yeah, that's very important. Yeah. If somebody was injured or yeah,
1: or or killed, yeah, you know, somebody's got to take over a oh, yeah. different spot. Um, what what was it like when you were? Uh, you'd see the enemy fighters or or enemy anti-aircraft flak. You, <laughs> well, the flak ain't much you could do
2: about it. Just sit there and watch it and hope it didn't hit you. You could hear it hit your plane, and in fact, a uh, waste gunner was there. <laughs> Piece come through the waist and went through and cut the end out of his parachute he had on under his flak suit. Mm. And I always carried extra parachute and stuff, you know, to have. We need it. and. Uh, <laughs> he, was no time at all changing parachutes. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, you just, like I say, and fighters, you would you throw the switches on your gun. You had them switches to throw and or to top them. And of course, after you took off and was in the air clear where you would see out of there, you charged your gun with live ammunition.
1: Did did you ever get really scared, or
2: I I guess the time we bombed went into that V2 rocket, I, I how scared I was I don't know, but they they opened up the first shots were right now, and I there was a plane off to our right, and they started bailing out of it, and this one guy bailed out and opened his parachute as an engine, number two engine, exploded and fire shot back and caught his parachute and I seen him just drop it. So that was not the worst of any of it I'd seen that I ever, it ever bothered me was. course, I mean, you was concerned, but you, you didn't let it interfere with what you was to do. What
1: What, what was the worst mission or I guess the yeah, the worst mission that you were on, was yeah, that your I'd last
2: say, one? Uh, I'd say that was before where we bombed them, the R.V. The rocket ship, they was right on us on that. Uh, going into Berlin down there, like I said, well you know they couldn't but half their guns shoot at you so, and that, but uh, you was always concerned when you turned on the IP point because you, made, you went through straight and level, right in the same speed till you got to the target. And that's when they would try to take you off or something. We was was coming off the target at Berlin, that's one time, and the waste gunner hollered, look at three o'clock. I looked over and there was a swarm, like a swarm of bees of German, that ME-109s, flying past, I could actually see the pilots sitting in the, in the, their place. They passed past us and went to the group that hadn't dropped yet. You want to turn, you think about it, well you might turn and start shooting at him, but then you know that when you did, you was in for a battle then. But that, that, that was the time then. You wondered, like I said, you know, you was talking about the 100. They, one of their, when they tried to show that they were surrendering and the fighters come in to escort them, they shot them down. And after that, they were, they were the main ones the Germans
1: looked for. <laughs> Just describe a little bit your last mission, number 35. Well,
2: it was, you, you have a concern because so many on their last mission are shot down. But we were going in to this target and it was it was just a little bit concerned, you know, you was more I I felt like I had more of a chance being probably shot down that and it wouldn't go back or nothing. And we went in to the outskirts of Paris when we bombed. I started out bombing Berlin, ended up bombing the outskirts of Paris when we were five days out at sea coming back before they ever took Paris. But that that was a little nerve wracking. You you, you you sweated that out, I'll say more, because you know it was your last beat. Yeah.
1: Some of the, uh, you remember any funny stories that... Oh, by all the funny ones, I was flying coat pellets and them, them
2: the guys from the medic up there, they wanted to fly, but once we got in, they were scared to death. <laughs> I had I laughed about them more than any of that. I Tell him, take a hold of that. Boy, he grabbed them. I got up to go hook the supercharger up. I reached down, grabbed that parachute, and he latched onto my arm. What's the matter? I said, nothing. Where you going? Why you carrying that parachute? I said, anywhere you going here you carry. <laughs> We laughed about that morning. I guess we was foolish. (laughs) Maybe he had more sense than we did. And I had swore after D-Day, when I seen that bomber explode going down the runway in Germany over there, that I wouldn't fly on B-24s. I come out here to Smyrna, and the line chief, I told him I didn't want to fly. he had uh, a BT-13A, which is a little partially trainer plane, mm-hmm. two seater with single engine. He said, well, "You just take care of that." And then about a week later, we they fly in two. I get two brand new at Yeah. And boy, you talk about something hot. Now there what we uh, the pilot. Uh, they come down and hollered me, "Get a parachute. You gonna go with me?" I, I flew with this big captain on them all of them. Then I flew with this one little guy. He was a major, and at BT-13A. We got up about ten thousand feet. I, hey, you got your seat belt buckled? I said, yes, sir. Well, hang on! <laughs> he started barrel rolling, went up in a stall, and here we come down. He done everything he could do with that plane. <laughs> and then the P-50, P. Uh, AT-6s, that uh, looks more like a German, uh, Japanese Zero. Yeah. Uh, I'd go up with them, man, them things were pretty hot too. Landing gear retract and everything.
1: Yeah, I got to fly in one of those. Yeah? It's a lot of fun. Oh yeah. We just got them in and took off with
2: this captain, forget his name, great big guy. We no more got off the ground than that. He said, you got it. And I said, well, they wasn't even, I didn't even have the stick. It was still in there. I hadn't put it in. I had a time getting it then. And finally, I hollered. Hey, I didn't have nothing to fly it with when you hollered. He said, I thought you was a little rough in that. <laughs> he goes, and now put it in a stall. And we started up, and just as soon as that thing started quivering, I popped it. He said, you didn't even get it in a stall. <laughs> hard to do better than that. <laughs> it was a lot of fun flying in there. And I wouldn't go fly B twenty fours, but the line chief kept after me and said he had so many got the others shipping out that he needed a crew chief and flight engineer. So I started flying A Lot different when you get in one of B twenty fours and you start flying in that wings is out there flipping at them get on that 17 that's solid there ain't nothing given there but I, well it took me a little while to get used to the 24 but it was all right and um, then talk about you talking about that one hydraulic when i know right then it was a 24 because b b24 was all hydraulics the b17 was electric.
1: look back now at it it wasn't it was all fun had a great time <laughs> yeah. do you remember uh I know there's so many aircraft, but there was one called Channel Express. Does that sound familiar at all? Not really. Yeah. I can't remember for sure which bomb group it was in. That was one of the other guys that I yeah. interviewed uh, last year. He was a pilot. Yeah. And he had a crazy story. They were shot down or hit yeah. by flack. Yeah.
2: Well, the one guy that went on Mike with me on that honor flight, he was a co pilot on 17s and was shot down on his fifth mission. And, like I said, uh, the crew that the pilot went down when he just found out he had a, a baby boy, after, uh, what was it, John, in, was it 2000 or 19? 1999, they had a reunion in Nashville, our bomb group. They had a reunion every year So They, I had to say or nothing, and uh, the bunch of them got up and went to see the General Jackson turn around in the river up there. And me and him was sitting there and talking. He said, me and Mike said, well, I only flew six missions got shot at. I said, six. I said, well, me and my pilot, Lieutenant Graff flew 35 you know Luke in the grass? I said, "Yeah." He said, "We've been him and his wife had been trying to find get a hold of him or nothing." I, I had his address, uh, phone number. And I give him all whether they ever got a hold of him. I know
1: I asked you before, but you know, once you uh, got your discharge and came home, you know, where where'd you go to work? Well, I went to work for a little while out of
2: vault. He, uh, they were building city buses there. It's out at the airport. I don't know what they call it now. And then I left there and I went to work on the railroad. I was a brakeman on the railroad. Okay. And then they started bringing in diesel. I didn't last too long and from there I went to driving the truck. I drove a tractor trailer for 32 years and that's what I retired from. Then I went into remodeling building and this and that doing kitchens and that. Mike and me built two or three kitchens for people.
1: Well, oh, you're, a v- you're a very handy guy to have around. Well, <laughs> I,
2: at least though it was able to cover up any mistakes I made. <laughs> <laughs> and then when, after Barbara and Mary started going to Jones Chapel and they had this big medal building and we went in there and made, uh, done the sanctuary and Classrooms and work, and right? everything. Done quite a bit of work and dancing. In fact, so, like Brother Gary, I got a letter in there, he in an envelope, but, where he thanked me for all the work I'd done at the church. And that. But, hey, it was something to do and good. Uh. You're you're very involved in church, right? Yes, sir. I have been there more so after I went to Jones Chapel, but before that, I. We went to Church Newsong in Franklin. Uh, I done mostly uh, some work with there with that. And then I went started going to Jones Chapel. I got really
1: involved there. Earlier we were talking, and I asked you what advice you'd ha- might have for younger generations. And uh, what was it you were telling me? Well. Be proud of your
2: country and look to be proud of the flag and your oath of allegiance and that. So many of these young people, they, and just like these football players here a while back, refused to stand up and be there for the national anthem. I thought that was the biggest disgrace that they could do. And since then, I don't care to watch a football uh, you just try to be friends with everybody, love everybody, laugh all you can. Laughter is one of the greatest things. you
1: do. Uh, So many of the veterans I've talked to have pointed to, uh, you know, their faith in God. Yes. Um, I'd say the majority will say that. Yeah. And, uh, you, Attributed that to yeah. you getting through the war, right? Yes, that's for sure. You know, God had his hand in, in everything he that you, uh, yeah. that's for you sure. making it through, mm-hmm. 35 missions. Yeah. You just,
2: like I say, try to be friends with everybody, love everybody. And I've always said laughter and being happy is the best thing to go and give you a year to go you know, I have been extra fortunate the family I've got my immediate family my friends at place right in here there's ever none of these people that they always act like they're proud to see you and speak and everything uh, it's it's a joy to be living. All those things—it's getting pretty much out of hand, I think. Uh, and that we just pray the Lord will intervene some way. But just try to be happy. That a, a happy person will live longer than a sad person.
1: Someone worried about everything all the time. And that's right. That's all I can say. <laughs> and tell me a little bit more about your family.
2: You have. I have three sons. Me and my first wife had three sons. What are their names? Richard, Mike, and John. Uh, Richard's the oldest, and John's in the middle, and Mike's the youngest. Uh, it <laughs> You get thinking, you think about, well, I must be getting old when your youngest son is <laughs> 68, and, the, and that, and the other two are in their 70s. So. And all three of them has has done great their jobs and all, and they've all married wonderful girls. And that I I won't say John is because she's sitting too close. <laughs> but when you've got a love for them like that, like they love, they show you you. You know you're not by yourself. You know if you had to pick up the phone and call them, even one of them would be right here. And that's a great feeling. And I, I love each one of them. Not only that, you go up here, and right up the street here and that, run right into Mike and get. Okay, they're great people. Other people around in the different subject here, different ones. And uh, now, uh, I know like I said, the one lives up there at 419, I give her some old brother camp, the them old time camp that her son wanted. And the next thing I know, she comes and brings me this camp. Uh, so you, you just, when you've got people in, and in this subdivision here, is some of the greatest people there, they're, they're friends with each other, you know, and that, that's what makes it great. Of course, they may think different
1: about it with me, but to, to them, they great. Though. Well, you've had a great life, and you're surrounded by a great family and friends. Yeah, what more can you ask for?
2: That's right, and I have got involved in the church. I have no fear of death, and time or two here. In the last couple years, I have been at the point of death. I had no fear of death. I put it in the hands of the Lord, and He brought me through. I I went and had a they run a test on my bladder at the hospital. Got out of it, come home that night. I started getting chills. John took me to the ER, and they took me straight in and started get. I had a. Urinary tract staph infection. After it was over, and I went to my regular doctor, he's looking at it. He said, "Claude said you, you had death. Said it had got in your blood." He said, "You, you was at the point of death." But the good Lord wasn't ready for me. Why wow. not? So, how much happier, better can you be?
1: <laughs> You're
2: yeah. right. And to have a guy like you come and listen to all my Hot air, I think that's <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, well, it's more than hot air. <laughs> oh, <yeah.
1: laughs> I appreciate it. And, well,
2: I, I appreciate you, Mike, and your Mike's son. Uh, and, uh, and I'm glad to meet you and my dad for a damn thing ever long. But.
1: Well, thank you again. Thank you for your service and for putting up with the... Uh, two interviews today.
2: Well, <laughs> that's all right. I just enjoy you and being here. I feel like I'm bragging about things and that. I don't mean to be bragging about it. I'm trying to remember what happened, you know.
1: Uh, I appreciate that memory, hits. Yeah, well. <laughs> you amazed me. Well,
2: good Lord <laughs> bless me there, I guess. I never was too awful bright in school. I just did get by, but I'm made it so that's
1: what counts well you're a true inspiration and I know you just did your job yeah, but right. but thank you uh, well it, it was a
2: thing to do you know
1: that's like uh, this other
2: guy he was in the Air Force but he was on C-47 flew in supplies and that we were on a Christian broadcast in Franklin there right up you know what John forget the name of, and and He was talking, and she said, he talked about him enlisting, and I talked about said, well, why in the world did you enlist? We both woke up about the same time and said that was the thing to do. That's what we felt like we needed to do.
0: This podcast is a charitable, supported public service. To learn more about the veteran featured on this podcast, please go to PortraitsofHonored.com. There, you'll find more stories, portraits, and ways to be part of this act of honor. Every day, a few hundred World War II veterans pass away, and soon they'll all be gone. For the cost of a few cups of coffee each month, you can help us support the mission to give all these deserving veterans their portrait of honor, and record and memorialize their stories forever. Please go to portraitsofhonor.com today to make your donation and show your support. Leave us a review and share this episode. By remembering the past, we can inspire a better future. Join us next time on Portraits of Honor.